I want to speak to you today for something that's actually been uh, on my mind for quite a while. I've been loosely thinking about this for two years, and this would be more of an introduction to what's on my mind and heart. It's something we'll need to revisit again in the future uh, and implement over even the next several years. But I want to just touch on it this morning. And I think that this is something that the totality of the Christian church in our area and in our nation is going to actually have to wrestle with in a very deep and meaningful way over the next several years. And I want to say that for a while now, uh, it's not been a secret, but for a while now in North America, we have been clearly living in a post-Christian reality. And what this means is that in a broad sense, our society no longer agrees with basic scriptural foundations. And so I don't say that to be depressed or angry or upset about it. I just want to state the reality that that's kind of where we live. And over time, this has led to a situation where in the church we have seen over time a really staggering and significant drop in general biblical literacy and in understanding, even at a very foundational, simple, and basic level. And I would say that the problem really significantly begins in my generation. I really feel that. And as we progress in generations below my age, it becomes much, much more pronounced to the point where at the very youngest age and stage of our current generation, it's functionally zero. And so that's a reality that we face. And as Christians and as a Christian church, it is our responsibility, right? No one else is going to take that responsibility. It is our responsibility to steward and to teach the Bible effectively as a foundation that we can all live out of and as, as a foundation that we can all grow out of. And so as this church takes brand new steps into a brand new future, as Grand Valley Church moves into what God has called it to move into, what will our foundation be and what will it be built on? What will grow out of the ministry of this place if it is not firmly resting on the word of God and on the power of God? And so as I've been wrestling with this for actually quite some time, keeps me up at night if I'm honest, <laughs> um, I've had this picture come to my mind and it's, have you ever seen one of those pictures on a website? It's like two train tracks that just go on forever, parallel beside each other, and the bushes are growing up, and it's sunny, and it's really beautiful. I have a, an image like that in my mind, and I see one of the tracks being God's Word. And I see the other track being God's power, and us encountering the reality of Him in our lives, and that these two tracks coexist alongside each other in perfect parallel harmony, if you have the power, but you don't have the word, you'll lack truth. You'll be searching for an experience. But if you have the word and you have the truth unaccompanied by the expression of God's power and the reality of his transformational work, something is also missing. We need both. We need both. And we need them to coexist, not just sometimes, but all the time, well into the future way into the distance. They would be the foundation for the whole train to sit on and get where it's going. And so as believers, I just want to state very clearly, I believe it's very important that in our own lives, we pay attention to the Bible. Podcasts and videos 
are great. Oh man, I love videos. I learn so much from videos. You ever go down the YouTube rabbit trail? Just the information trail, just wherever it leads? They're great, but they are not the word. A good sermon and good music and good personal stories are fantastic, but they are not the word. A good sermon, um, captivating speakers, well-orchestrated topics are very, very good. Are you getting where this is going? But they are not the word. I don't want to be harsh. I'm not here to judge or, or speak harshly because I believe that all those things that I just mentioned are really good and God can absolutely use them in our journeys. And so we should seek out these other sources and have them be a part of our faith journey. But they should never replace our individual connection to and passion for Scripture. And it should never replace or be seen as a source of wisdom and power that does not come directly from the Word of God. And there's so many scriptures that we have in the Bible itself that just affirm the absolute necessity of this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, you may know it. It says this, all scripture is, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training and righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what's the source of every good work? His word. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who we must give an account. John 1, 1 to 5. Very powerful and beautiful. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all of mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. The darkness will not overcome it. As I reflected on all these verses, and there's so many more, uh, a few phrases kind of jumped out at me as I was reading and studying. The first was out of 2 Timothy, the words, all scripture, all scripture. I want to say to you today, it's never a waste of time to open your Bible. If you don't know where to start, it doesn't matter. All Scripture is useful. Open it. Begin reading anywhere. Uh, all of it will challenge you and speak to you and transform you if you listen and rest in it and allow it to do its good work. If you open Scripture on your own and you take that time it will not return empty. The second words that came to my mind are alive and active out of Hebrews. Alive and active. Do you know why? 
Do you know why the Word of God is alive and active? Do you know why? Because God is alive and active. Because God is alive and active. Because he has conquered all sin and all death by the power of his shed blood on the cross. And now by his spirit, he constantly advocates by his power for the healing and restoration of all things. Amen. Amen. So the word of God is alive and active because our God is alive and active. The third thing that comes to mind out of John are the words, and the word was God. In the last denomination, the beautiful people of the BIC Church of Canada, uh, if you mentioned in a lot of their contexts and meetings the word of God, they didn't think of the Bible. That's the last thing that came to their mind. The first thing that came to their mind was Jesus. And let me tell you, they aren't wrong. Jesus is the word of God. The word is more than just the words we have on the page. It is the revelation and the character of a person. The word was God. The word is God. It is eternal. It existed before the foundations of the earth, and it will exist beyond. Why? Because this book will never burn, or you can never destroy it? No, because the source of where it came from is truly eternal. The word is God. The word is God. The Word and the person of God are one and the same. And that's just one of the reasons that some of you know this in the room. You can study the Bible for a lifetime, or you can study it so much and then leave it and come back to the same passage many months or years later, and it completely speaks to you in a different way. Why? Because the Word is alive and it's eternal, just like God is. And it, it continually gives us a picture of wisdom that is bigger and more beautiful and more powerful that we can, than we can even fully understand in our finite condition. We are finite, God is infinite, and the word lasts forever. We will spend this life and eternity and eternity and eternity out of time comprehending the word. And there is no end to the majesty that we will uncover. That's what we will continue to do even in heaven. We will be in constant communion and community with the Lord, discovering the reality of the Word and who the Word is forever and ever and ever. There will not be an end and it will not be boring. It's simply the most compelling journey that we can go on, and you can go on it now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. So what then do we do? What do we do with all this? How do we make sure that our lives and the things that will grow out of us in the future come from the Word and come from the person who inhabits it? I want to say that my answer is relatively simplistic, mostly because I had two hours to write this sermon. <laughs> no, the answer is this. It's read it. Read the Word. But I want to encourage you today to take it one step deeper. I want to encourage you to approach the scriptures on two very simple levels. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to read scripture at a personal level. You need to hear from Jesus in your own life for your own spiritual health. 
Right? God has things that he wants to show you and challenge you on at a personal level. You need an active personal relationship that is constantly changed and challenged, corrected and healed by the power of Jesus and the power of his word. Before you approach the scripture, before you open the word, ask God to speak to you at a personal level before you read it. Jesus, I'm going to take this time right now to open your word, to learn about you. Jesus, as I take this time, would you speak to me personally about my own mind, my own heart, my own struggles, my own life, and would you reveal to me through the pages of your word what I need? Speak to me. I acknowledge, Jesus, that you're alive and active and well and want to speak to me. God, show me what you would have me learn. Change me and transform me to be more like you. The second thing I want to say is learn how to read Scripture at a communal level. Just as God can guide an individual, I'm going to say something that's going to blow your mind right now. He can actually guide a church. He can guide institutions. And he can even guide governments. And nations. He can do that. And it's different than at an individual level, right? Because we come together collectively, different stories, different backgrounds together to do something for Jesus as an organization, as a church. Can you imagine? Can you imagine governments under the power and authority of the word saying, under, under this, let's read this today. And God, as we do, would you help us build great policy for a nation? He would do it. He would do it if we would ask. When you're with others or when you're seeking God on behalf of a group or family or church, ask that God wouldn't speak to you on your personal stuff, but that he would give you what you need to effectively lead a group of people. I want to say that as a pastor, this is something I tend to do quite a bit. In fact, I can almost do it to the point where my own personal stuff gets a little bit lost. I'm always seeking Jesus uh, at a scriptural level, mostly for the, the totality of the community. Um, and I will often ask Jesus what he wants to say or do in our church. And I find that he often does. Imagine that. Imagine that if you ask God to do it, he often does. And I have to say that it's incredible how different it is when I approach a passage personally and when I say, Jesus, speak to me, guide me, and he will bring something out of a text. And then when I approach that same passage and I say, okay, Lord, I receive what you said to me, but what about for our family? What about for our church? Oftentimes it's very different. Sometimes there's a bit of overlap, but oftentimes it's very, very different. And so I want to say that God can use scripture, right, to guide you as an individual, but also as a guide to guide our church. And it should be our absolute prayer that he would. And you should feel that as participants and community members here at Grand Valley Church, if you hear something out of the word that you think is directed to our church family, you should send it to me. You should talk about it within the context of our church family so that we can learn from and hear together communally. And God will do that. He will guide us as individuals and he will guide us as a church family. Uh, as I close today, as I get ready to close today, I'm actually going to read a bunch of scripture. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be appropriate? 
message on, on the Word of God and actually including a, a bunch of Scripture. Um, I want to read from you today from Psalms 121, 123, and 124, and Acts 2. And I want to challenge you that as I read it, you would allow the Word of God to wash over you. You would sit back and you would receive the Word of God. And that you would ask God in your own mind, as I begin to read, God, what is it that you want to say to me? And then I have a challenge for you this week in your programs. I want you to read these same passages many times this coming week. Over and over again. And I want you to rotate between God asking to, you asking God excuse me, to speak to you personally. And then say, God, what would you say through these passages for my workplace? What would you say through these passages for my marriage? What would you say through these passages for our church family here at Grand Valley? How would you direct me? And if God speaks or shares something with you, please pass it along uh, so that we can uh, reap the benefits of that together as a community. So uh, please just sit back and allow me to read scripture over you as we close. And uh, take it with you this week. So first I'm going to read from Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your comings and goings, both now and forevermore. I lift my eyes up to you, to the one whose throne is in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of, the, of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured much contempt. We have endured much ridicule from the proud, much contempt from the arrogant. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us and when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing from a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Now there were staying in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
And when they had heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are these not men? Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Perithians, Medes, Elmatites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phyria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs were able to hear, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Peter then stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and and with the help of wicked men put to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said this about him. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence." Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. Exalted into the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and what you now hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, And said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all 
whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's just take a moment and close in prayer this morning. Jesus, sometimes we can approach your word and we can sift through it, finding the stuff that we need to have or hear to formulate an idea or opinion that aligns with our own perspective. But God, sometimes we need to come to your word and we need to let your word read us. And so, God, I pray that this week as we look at these passages together, I pray that as we read your word as the church, your word would read us. Your your word would divide and conquer and heal and forgive and build things and create life in ways that maybe we can't even understand to ask for or imagine. God, I pray again that we as your people would come into a renewed passion for the word of God. Understanding that even today when we hear your voice, that is an extension of the word of God because you are active and alive and you are here right now present with us and we want to hear your voice. It is only in your words, Jesus, that we find life. Everything else leaves us hungry and broken. But in your words, in your life, We find wholeness, we find eternity, and we find a way to live, to truly live. And so God, as we surrender to you and to your word, may we know your life. May we know your life as individuals in our minds and our hearts. May we know your life in our families, in our marriages. May we know your life and your goodness going out through us in our workplaces. And may we know your life, and the mission that you have called us to in your church, in Grand Valley Church. We ask for these things, God, boldly. Direct us and give us what we need to build your kingdom everywhere. We love you. And everyone said together this morning,